Sweet. I forgot to make fun of Angelo during an ad, but whatever. Live from the Mundangerous Pharaoh's Tomb in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Yishin. And welcome to episode 182 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about inflicting, living with, and removing curses. But first the rogue traders go out a-walkin' after midnight in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the lycanthrope hunter bites back in the character creation forge. So Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press. They've got a new adventure, Courts of the Shadow Fae, for 5th edition. Intrigue and adventure awaits you in the Shadow Realm with Courts of the Shadow Fae, a 5th edition planar adventure for 7th to 10th level characters. So this was designed by Wolfgang Bauer, the head of Kobold Press, and our friend Dan Dillon, and pits your heroes against the Queen of Night and Magic when she announces that the city of Zobek and its people are hers by ancient right. Now, that seems like a very rude thing to announce. Yeah. What is it with Faye who are uh, in charge of two very disparate things, right? Uh, air and darkness, night and magic. Like, do you just, is it just like a grab bag? Where it's you're like, like right, I get no. two domains, right? So I guess I roll randomly for these domains. It's called horizontal integration, Asian. Oh, oh, I see. Of they course. saw an opportunity to grab another domain and they took it. That's smart. <laughs> it's the next big thing at GE. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So to save the city, you'll need to confront the Shadow Fae in the heart of their own realm. Well, I mean, they're calling it their own realm, right? You know, probably the Fae realm wasn't even theirs to begin with. Yeah, all you got to do is go in there and take it from them, and then it's your realm. Yeah, because turnabout is fair play, right? Right. All right, so this 148-page adventure contains 100 NPCs, a map with more than 60 locations, and more than 40 combat and role-playing encounters. Uh, that's, that's a lot of them. That's very dense. So you can raise your status through courtly intrigue and duels of honor. I know a podcast with an episode that may have talked about duels recently that might mm-hmm. be good to listen to. Yep. Or you can win an audience with the queen herself and free the city. Or you can totally screw it up, fail horribly, and become her servants. So order Courts of the Shadow Fae for 5th edition at cobaltpress.com. What kind of benefits do you get for being a servant of the Queen of Night and Magic? I bet you get dark vision. <laughs> or at least like goggles of night. <laughs> oh, great. All right. So we got news recently uh, that the February Unearthed Arcana from Wizards of the Coast is going to be a new version of the Artificer. Uh, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about this, Shane, because the last Artificer we didn't really like at all because it was like a pew-pew gunsmith or a not-very-good potion bandolier guy. Yeah, it was like a pew-pew gunsmith or a pew-pew potion smith, and they weren't a whole lot different or good. I've seen a lot of people saying uh, that they really like some homebrew Artificers that are out there, that are out there but I don't know. I had a player send one to me. I had Cam send it to me, actually, uh, running it by me to see if it was cool in like the Eberron Redux campaign, and I was like, eh, it just seems way too complicated. I don't know. I, don't know. I think maybe no. Um, so I'm interested to see what's going to come out of this. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe it's still a wizard subclass. I, I'd like to see it as a half caster. 
I don't know. I have I just have this feeling that everybody's going to be disappointed on both sides of whatever aisle, depending on how you feel about Artificer. Well, I mean, that would be the usual experience with Unearthed Arcana, so no surprises there. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm hoping we get something that is moving toward being more finalized as opposed to something like the revised ranger which like came out and then just sort of is sitting there and there are no plans to do anything with it but like we heard at gen con last year like keith baker said we'll eventually get a final artificer and then it'll go into wayfinder's guide to eberron and then then it'll be print on demand and you can get your physical copies right so i don't know fingers crossed we'll see i guess we'll talk about it when it comes out speaking of promises unfulfilled shane where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game, playing Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Deathworld Iblis Prime, in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. We are just missing those uh, middle steps that are mostly question marks right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, you're on one of those steps, actually, because <laughs> you have uh, begun an expedition into the Gilded Canopy, which, if you recall, is the deadly jungle that surrounds Meridian. Okay, uh, everything on this planet, just insert the adjective deadly in front of it. Mm-hmm. That's how Deathworld works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you are attempting to scout a mining site uh, along with a hundred-man escort comprised of the prospecting company, um, the Leaf Lighters. And your own armsman. Uh, a 75-man escort, maybe. I mean, some people have gotten eaten on the way by invisible stalkers. <laughs> I don't think you guys do the accounting on that until the end. Oh, okay. Well, so some people now, are definitely dead. <laughs> so for now, you're between zero and 100 men. <laughs> it's Schrodinger, Schrodinger's armsman company. Right. <laughs> so, yes, as feared... The apex predators in the canopy, the emerald stalkers, although, you know, they are invisible typically. Camouflage. Yeah, they they followed us and then they attacked. Uh, we did finally manage to wound and then eventually kill one. So, you know, we got to examine it and realize that, hey, they're actually green. They're green when they're dead, I guess. Yeah, well, their skin is green. You just never really see their natural color. So with nightfall approaching, we set up camp and burn away as much of the surrounding jungle as we can, you know, to give as little cover as possible to these things that blend right into the jungle, and we order a full watch rotation. And meanwhile, um, now that you've got camp set up, Doc starts to give the body, uh, the stalker body, a, shall we call it a battlefield dissection? Sure, I, I guess. I thought he was just hurting it. That seems terrible. I don't know what he's doing. There's a lot of blood. So he he's doing some research, as he does, and discovers that the camouflage uh, seems to be linked at a, at a cellular level to a gene that could actually be exploitable. What are cells and what's a gene? Yeah, that's some heretical stuff that he yeah. definitely took corruption for. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Papa Zinch provides. And he also learns that they uh, have a similar organ to many other Xeno species across the galaxy that communicate telepathically. Oh, great. So they're hive mind velociraptors from Jurassic Park? Yeah, kind of. They, they, aren't, they aren't restricted by, you know, um, guttural sounds that you could maybe track them by. Uh, ah. But this this does give Trank an idea. Um, and and putting his head together with the uh, the head of the leaf lighters, Stanton Blankhart, you are able to determine that the pack was probably three or four, um, and that they were just highly coordinated. Uh, it, it seemed like there maybe had to be more in order to attack so effectively, but you know that if they can coordinate that well telepathically, then they wouldn't have needed as many as you thought. 
Yeah, they're uh, clever girls, if you will. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was the other gene they found is amphibian <laughs> DNA. <laughs> they can change. They can change their sex on demand. Yeah, you know, death worlds uh, find a way. So the stalkers test our defenses from time to time, uh, but no attack actually gets through them. So the expedition's relatively uninterrupted, and we make it through the night, which with like not that many dead armsmen, I guess. Like those yeah. are our defenses, right? Bodies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you keep pushing on. Uh, and a few days of this, you know, ragged, weary, um, rapidly depleting your supplies as you're wasting them, burning away the jungle and your campsites at each night. Um, eventually, you arrive. Uh, you halt for the last time, and Stanton Blancard announces that you're at the site. And you look around, and I mean, Maybe the jungle is a little bit thinner. Maybe maybe there's some patches here that uh, look like they could have been newer growth. But, man, any evidence of prior expeditions seems to be buried. Oh, wonderful. All right. Well, let's start reburning it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are we here for? Digging up Xenotech artifacts? You're here for rare earth minerals. Ah, right. Okay. Well, let's dig into the ground. Uh, fire and then drills. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, well, yeah. Let's burn down the ground. Uh, let's get a landing site so we can get our equipment out here. And also, I think Trank says, establish a perimeter. Yeah. <laughs> Step one. It's in not getting murdered in the night. Burn enough to have a perimeter. <laughs> Step two. Establish that perimeter. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll find out how that goes next week. So this week we are talking about using curses. Um. RPGs and D&D specifically use like the term curse for lots of different effects. Warlocks these days have tons of curses. Uh, magic items are cursed because, you know, they do things that the PCs don't think they do. Gesh is a curse. It's cursed all players by being unpronounceable to all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you're just cursed with these amazing good looks that I've, I'm rocking over here, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I just have to walk around knowing that. All the time. Hey, just trust me. We're in audio format. It's true. <laughs> so this episode, we're focused on um, long-term effects that have consequences for the story. You know, the kinds of curses that you'd find in mythology or fantasy. So, yeah, these are usually plot devices. Uh, they're often caused by some transgression that the victim has committed, either real or perceived. Yeah, like... Sleeping Beauty didn't do anything wrong to get cursed and like fall asleep for a hundred years, right? Like she didn't do anything, and her parents, like, what do they do? They like not invite uh, a literally evil witch that like everyone knows is an evil witch to some birthday party. Was that it? I think. And then you know, hey, curses. Eat the rich. You're not wrong. Uh, but in game, they're probably more defined by uh, the relationship that the curse has to the PCs. So first off, it's an opportunity for the PCs to either deal with the curse that is inflicted on them or to end or maybe even just avoid a curse that's placed on someone else. So, you know, like it, it's not you're, it's not a good PC uh, to play Sleeping Beauty. Well, yeah, because uh, she's asleep. Yes. <laughs> it's also probably not a good PC to play like the Prince, Prince Charming who shows up and like makes out with a, a girl in a coma. Yeah. Yeah. So, it always sends a good message. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it can be a good quest for the party, like go rescue the person who's been asleep for a hundred years and like the whole kingdom's been put under a curse. Like that's a great quest for for a party. Or um, 
something like uh, the curse of the mummy can, uh, you know, inf- be inflicted on a party and then follow them around for an entire arc of a game. This is also a good opportunity for character development, uh, especially as part of a backstory for a PC. Not that it would necessarily have to affect anything mechanically, but it could be, you know, a curse could inform a part of your PC's personality. Yeah, like um, in fourth edition, Solomon the Stag, like his entire backstory starting off was like, he's cursed to be good. You know, that didn't have a mechanical effect. It was just an excuse for me to be like a salty mouthed, grumpy character who also like, you know, still did good stuff and would travel with the party and not murder people. Uh, Yeah, I think my character in our new Eberron game is also similarly cursed with knowledge. Yeah, we just need to figure out what that knowledge is. Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it'll come out eventually uh or a curse could be both of these things right like lycanthropy like you know being a werewolf or a were rat or whatever can be played mechanically like a disease or it could just be a solely like role-played effect um you know definitely people have uh played characters that like i am a werewolf and occasionally i black out and the gm takes control of me and like i have guilt over the innocence that i've harmed in the past and um, you know, there are consequences to the actions that occur when you're in werewolf form, but all of that is just kind of role played out and you're not like making saving throws. Okay, so let's talk about how to inflict curses. Uh, mostly you just go, gotcha suckers. Well, you're yeah. All cursed. That's what I do. Right. You're so stupid. I can't believe you opened that door, idiots. So as implied, uh, usually it's going to be caused by some transgression. So opening that door, if it is the mummy's tomb or uh, slighting a magic user or, you know, um, defying or angering a god, betraying a friend, all these things kind of yield lousy outcomes. Yeah. um, What is it? House of the Seven Gables. uh, There's a curse on the house for several several generations. That's why people come to Total Party Thrill, huh? (laughs) <laughs> for those Nathaniel Hawthorne drops. <laughs> hey, you picked it up. Good job. Good job. Cursed, cursed by adultery. You will get to wear an A around your neck. Cursed he's, for he's adultery? He's big on the curses. He's big on the curses. He was. Yeah. <laughs> now he's dead. You know why? Cursed. Cursed. Yeah, the mummy, actually. Nathaniel Hawthorne uh, was a Tomb Raider. Everyone knows that. Oh, I have my next PC now. <laughs> Nathaniel, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Lara Croft Tomb Raider. <laughs> But like, okay, House of the Seven Gables is, is cursed because uh, the land was stolen initially. Wait, is that a spoiler? For, it's fine. <laughs> for like a 180 year old book. <laughs> the key here is that someone somewhere believes that the curse is deserved, even if like objectively at the table or in, in the story or like in the present day, um, it isn't. So this is much like a plot device. It just happens. Uh, you might not even know that, that it has happened until you find out later through a series of coincidences or, or strange events. Yeah, like when, when the Egyptologists open the mummy's tomb, like it's not, not everyone is struck dead immediately, right? It's just one by one they, they drop dead of some you know unknown circumstance and then people start piecing it together. Like, oh, of course, it is the mummy's curse. Or it's fermented barley, whatever. Unless you sip the mummy juice, in which case you're immune. Yes, the red mummy juice. Wasn't it? Was black? it red? Was, was it, it black? black? I think it was black. I I know, maybe forgot. it was originally red. What a dumb meme. <laughs> so if you look at like Curse of Strahd, it also lists low-level Vistani curses. Um, they all trigger on like a wisdom save to prevent them. Um, so this would fall more in line with like the Warlock's curses. Yeah, and it gives reasons that like a Vistani might curse somebody. You know, they're grumpy or you've wronged them in some way or they just don't like your face. Mm-hmm. 
So you can use a saving throw in instances like this to indicate that the curse is being levied. I guess even if it is a plot device, you can use a saving throw so that people know, hey, something is happening, right? So you open the mummy's tomb, make a saving throw. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that if you save that you're not going to be like in- afflicted by the mummy's curse. You are, um, but maybe just make like the initial saving throw versus something like uh, blindness or deafness. Or I think traditionally in stories you get a lot of people who are like struck dumb, right? Like you can't speak um, because of like some horrific event or you know like uh, just some sort of magical effect. So the long term effect, whatever you decide, like the actual mummy's curse that follows people around, does. That still happens even if you save on the initial effect. It might just be that, like, some people are blinded, some people are deafened, and, and other people, like, save and nothing happens to them, at least not obviously right away. And then another way to do this would be to make the curse more like a disease, something that can be transmitted through a, a series of behaviors or, or something like that. So this would be like lycanthropy or vampirism. What do you have to do in order to catch these diseases? Depending on your flavor of vampire, sometimes you just need to be bit by the vampire. Other times you have to be drained by the vampire. Other times you have to be drained and then buried by the vampire, you know? So it can just keep going into more and more exotic different methods of transmitting the magical disease. Yeah, it's a night of passion. That's what's required, you know, and that always gets you into tons of trouble. Lots of curses. I really like when inflicting a curse for there to be some sort of proclamation. Like you can make these um, very dramatic, even like melodramatic. Uh, Cause you know, cursing is, is a very like Shakespearean, like a pox on both your houses kind of event. I curse you thinner. Yes. That's Stephen King. Thick, okay. I didn't know that one. See, I only know Hawthorne. <laughs> I only read the classics. Oh wait, hang on. Don't think I've read any Stephen King. Uh, <laughs> that was a made for TV movie called Thinner. <laughs> okay but yeah if you think about like traditionally um maleficent is like pissed at not being invited to this birthday party but she shows up anyway and then what's she do she curses the little baby in front of everyone right and she gets all like cackly and angry and she like even says very specifically here's what here's what's going down in 16 years you know she's gonna find a spinning wheel because those are just lying around and she's gonna prick her finger and then she's gonna fall asleep forever I don't think she says like, oh, and by the way, like, you know, Trulo's first kiss and all that can fix it. I think she leaves that part out, which is probably good. <laughs> it seems like a plot hole. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is a cool opportunity for like as a GM to like really throw down and be like, oh, wow, you pissed off this person. Like the hag, like we've talked about hags. Uh, hags can be really cool just because they can be so creepy and they can basically do whatever they want. Like their abilities are basically plot devices. You can have the hag be like, ah. Yeah, I'm not going to kill you because I could because, you know, I'm like CR 16, but I'm going to curse you. And here's how I'm going to curse you. And uh, you're not going to like it. Um, And you're just going to need to suck it up because you like broke my stuff. And you didn't know that you broke my stuff, but you did because like I own this place because I said that I own it (laughs) because that's how things work. Most of them are fey after all. So one thing that can accompany this proclamation is some some type of physical effect that manifests very quickly in front of the audience. So um, you could grow horns or turn into a toad or, um, you know, suddenly like lose your breath and be unable to breathe, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, you probably don't need them to start cackling about how like I'm going to turn you into a toad when they just turn you into a toad. But, you know, something silly about like the outsides matching the insides or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think... a 
A really useful time that you can pull in a curse that often gets overlooked is the death curse. Consider having very powerful enemies that your party has been uh, fighting against or pursuing for a long time. You know, people sort of who who are defeated at the end of a, a big campaign arc, have them deliver uh, a death curse against your party, you know, as they're dying. Yeah, this gives the dying NPC a chance to uh, actually get off that, you know, evil monologue without the PCs getting a chance to cut them off because they're already dead. Right, yeah, like, okay, I have a laser pointed to the center of the earth and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to destroy the world. No, 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 no. I'm not going to explain that to you. First, you're going to defeat me. And now I have a chance to explain what will happen anyway or how you are somehow cursed to make this come about. Or why you're too late. Yeah, right. I already triggered this 33 minutes ago. (laughs) So when you do this, you want to take inspiration from the way that the PCs killed them, right? So make sure that the curse that they're levying has some type of turnabout is fair play type feeling to it. Yeah, if they were stabbed through the heart, then, you know, maybe it, it curses their weapon, um, you know, so it, it goes a, awry sometimes, or, you know, they'll never find true love because, you know, got stabbed through the heart, get it? Or they will be betrayed by some sort, someone they love. Or they'll give love a bad name. Well, yeah. They're I mean, shot through the heart. That's the end game. Uh, or it could be that, you know, in the last moment, the villain is seeking some sort of redemption or, or maybe not even redemption, but like maybe even one last selfish act, which is like they, they offer the dying wish uh, and the the party or the, you know, whoever struck the killing blow is inflicted with the curse until that dying wish is fulfilled, um, whatever that might be. And then, you know, it could be something good, right? Like, you know, go help my kid in somewhere, like go find my kid because I don't know where they are because like, I'm a deadbeat Get my kid parent. into Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty easy you know it just you just gotta pay enough gold what else are we gonna do with all of this gold we can't right. buy magic items we don't have nearly enough classism for that joke to work in america <laughs> get my kid into eaton, eaton. <laughs> into bardic college no wait no that's what i didn't want oh I'm, but i'm dead oh uh, another way that this works really well is if the curse that was on the the dying NPC is then transferred to the person who kills them. So the curse lives beyond them. That both characterizes and makes your NPC rather kind of a tragic villain um, and then also compels your party to continue dealing with that curse. Yeah, I like that that, you know, it has somehow driven this NPC mad and like that's why they're the villain and now you know, the initial effects are transferred to the party or one party member and they've sort of got a figure out how to also not go mad and become the villain themselves. The villain is cackling because they're finally free from their curse. Right. <laughs> the only way I could be freed was to be killed by someone of pure heart. Right. Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> You've released me to my final form. Rest. <laughs> P.S. I'm a lich now. Okay. So you have successfully inflicted curses on your party. Uh, what do these curses do? So if you've got curse effects that are solely RP focused, like they're just role played out and they don't have mechanical effects, then you can often leave leave them to be determined by the player. Because a lot of these are going to be sort of like backstory, right? Um, I was cursed as a child. And so like I'm carrying this burden. So, you know, a gesh is the reason that Solomon the Stag was lawful neutral and not lawful evil. Some of the more complicated curses, uh, probably you want them to be created by the player because it's kind of a lot of work like if you have a character who's been cursed to speak in rhyme all the time 
then you, <laughs> it's probably not something you sort of want to like throw at someone and be like, great, from now on, you must speak in rhyme. Unless Jeez. they're like, you know what I would love? I would love a character that only speaks in rhyme. And then you can be like, no, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anybody who signs up for that, take a long, hard look. Um, but, you know, you can also have just other RP effects that don't necessarily affect anything mechanically, but that can come into play story-wise. Like, you know, if now a character always weeps blood. That is gross. Um, you, I mean, you could give them disadvantage on like certain charisma effects, but you don't even necessarily have to, right? If they're sort of going out of the way to fix it, but it can come into play in the story. Yeah, as long as they're not actively crying, it should be fine. Well, you know, the bard is always telling these sad, sad stories. <laughs> Uh, this is also a good way to steal somebody's soul. Has zero impact on the game uh, until such a time as having a soul has an impact on the game. <laughs> it's, it's a great commodity. Right. <laughs> you can have effects that are almost metaphorical or lyrical, right? Like you could have a, a PC who smells like death. Well, I don't know. What does death smell like? Uh, I guess you could leave that up to interpretation by by the player. Um, it could be different for like every NPC or even other party members who are near them. And of course, you know you can in- inflict them with like that that hideous countenance, the that typical curse, like "aha, now you're ugly." Um, maybe that's the reason they have a charisma score of six. Yeah, yeah, I like that smells like death option because it wouldn't necessarily even be an unpleasant smell, right? Like a lot of times you associate the smell of death with like various floral smells that are used Mm -hmm. to hide the smell of a body right so like anointing oils or things like that um that in another context might be pleasant just bring about that reminder of like oh you smell like a funeral right uh my end game you are cursed to smell like myrrh right (laughs) (laughs) wait is is myrrh used for funerals that seems like a weird thing to bring to baby jesus The gold is great. Maybe we should just buy the inn now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just Bruce Wayne it. Hey, Spotting I, some plot holes. I own this inn, okay? <laughs> I, I want the penthouse manger. Right. <laughs> um, you can also have, you know, mild mechanical effects. Uh, your weight is doubled. I think these are, these are the kinds of things that are great for, like, fey curses, or, like trickster curses. That works. You can also curse somebody so they cannot lie. Maybe don't do that to the like the rogue who specifically is like built around deception, but you know around the the fighter who like can have fun with figuring out like when to talk and when not to talk. Uh, you can have haunted dreams that cause sleeplessness. Uh, again, maybe this has an effect. Uh, occasionally, they're making saving throws to see if they you know start the day with one level of of exhaustion. They could be forced to eat five times as much food in order to like stave off hunger or or not lose weight. Um, it's not a huge burden, but it, it is a little extra bookkeeping and costs a little more. And also, I think really just is mildly off-putting <laughs> <laughs> and also makes for some RP. Like we go to the inn and like we order food for 10, even though there's only six of us. Right. Uh, you could also be cursed to be hated by animals or children. Um, you know, something about you just is off-putting to them. It's your face. Probably that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also the restraining order. <laughs> well, it's it's because when you showed up, you had to go around to every single door and be like, "Hey, uh, just so you know, I am required by law to tell you that I'm hated by animals and children. I'm terribly cursed." So, how about some short-term effects of curses? 
so in Curse of Strahd, uh, the Vistani curses have a fair number of short-term uh, effects. You could be unable to perform uh, acts with fine motor control, like uh, tying knots or playing an instrument. Um, some of these aren't even necessarily like that small of an effect, right? You can't cast spells that have somatic components. That's pretty big depending on what kind of character you are. Yeah. I mean, so is playing an instrument if you're a certain kind of bard. Or sewing. It was just a really big deal if you're a certain kind of... Um, Taylor. NPC. <laughs> uh, they also grant disadvantage on ability checks or saving throws tied to one ability score of the Vistani's choice. Which is a big deal if they choose correctly. Right. Uh, you can, I think, consider stronger effects for really stupid actions, especially if you know you've spent a lot of time sort of playing up to the PCs that there are particular actions that they shouldn't do, right? Like, hey, you killed the albatross. Um, very bad things are happening right now. Like, you're taking, uh, you know, disadvantage on all attack rolls. Wait, in the Rime of the Ancient Mariner, was there like a warning that you, he shouldn't kill the albatross? Uh, the it was like known lore that like albatrosses are, are good luck and like bring the good winds. Oh yeah. And then he okay. killed it cause he's an idiot. Yeah. All right. Cool. Coleridge. <laughs> this is such a literary episode. I know. <laughs> Thank God you're, you're sticking to my 10th grade, like American literature history so that I know these stupid things. Uh, I had to get a subscription to sparks notes. <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine people used to go to the store to buy Cliff's Notes to cheat on their tests? Oh my god, I used to go to the store and then read them there and not buy it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, it would have just been faster to read it. Like, we would, you're never assigned long books. Well, hang on. <laughs> don't, don't fault the method. <laughs> Poor Cliff. Suddenly Spark is here. <laughs> fell to the wayside it's because they were easier to hide right cliff's notes is like bright like yellow and black bumblebee yep. traffic cone exactly you can't, you can't stick that in your backpack and, and yeah pull it spark out notes hides on the internet <laughs> when they started showing up in stores though that that was when it became a real problem mm. well now you got smartphones you just take pictures of every page or the pages you need i guess so then there are the long-term curses that uh have more of like the potential to impact multiple party members, right? Or, or change the direction of the campaign. So um, these are the types where you want to make sure that everybody at the table kind of understands the stakes before you wade into the problem and, and is bought into the idea that the campaign could change quite dramatically. Um, things like lycanthropy or um, bloodlust or uh, it will not die and will eventually become a demon of zinch. Yes, you definitely got buy-in from all of us for that. <laughs> I mean, I guess we were playing a game with Cameron, so <laughs> we, we we knew it was coming. Everyone, no, I think when, when that happened for Doc, everyone was just happy that that wouldn't be the end of the campaign, um, Was would be his betrayal. It would be the penultimate episode of the campaign. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At least we know how we're going to die now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we all agree Cameron's character will kill us. <laughs> but maybe we'll kill him first. Maybe it's yeah, it depends on how you stat it. Uh yeah, something like lycanthropy. I mean, especially I don't know, if you have you if you looked at fifth edition um lycanthropes, like they have an at will attack that causes a saving throw, and if you fail it, you have lycanthropy. It's like one saving throw. Um it's not a particularly difficult one, but like anyone can roll a two on a saving throw. 
um, and like great now you're a werewolf and uh, the GM like sometimes takes control of you and like once that happens to one party member it's almost impossible that if you keep that person in the party that it won't eventually affect pretty much everyone else in the party like just the law of averages says that eventually everyone's going to be werewolves right which like is cool for a werewolf game I guess but is not so great if you you know we're out saving villages <laughs> yeah I, and then any of these things could have that um, that effect where a player's role-playing choices are confined um, by whatever this curse is, and therefore they can end up doing something that they're, the player knows is bad for the party, the party knows is bad for the party, but they're compelled to do it anyway. Um, that's why you kind of want to have that buy-in before you go through with it. Yeah, yeah. these are the things where you're taking away agency not just from your character, you know, because you're sort of willingly handing it over if you're like, you know, I want to be a natural born lycanthrope or whatever. Um, or I want to like have a, a battle lust that can only be quelled occasionally with like a wisdom saving throw. Um, but you're taking um, agency away from these other characters and they don't necessarily want that to happen. So make sure that they're cool with it. Or make sure that there is a way to remove it. Nope, no way to remove it. You're cursed forever. <laughs> Suck it. Okay, well, let's say we have a more minor curse. Uh, what are some ways that we can approach removing curses? Uh, so we talked a bit about this in the diseases episode. Um, but in this instance, medicine or heal checks or things like that usually aren't really applicable. Um, I think the skills that you're looking for are things like history um, or arcana uh, or even just like, you know, sessions where you're doing a lot of research to figure out exactly what it is. Like this is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer part of the episode where... Um, they're in the library leafing through old tomes and like sort of matching things up to figure out like what exact ghoul bit them and like what the how the curse manifests and how you get rid of it right interesting that you think that's just history and arcana and not also religion but that's fine Eh, whatever that's never useful (laughs) (laughs) so the remove curse spell exists in a lot of games but that kind of ends up being an easy out so Um, You might want to consider that having it only work for short-term effects or just the initial effects that happen uh, rather than the entire curse uh, forever. Yeah, so, you know, when the curse is inflicted, you were blinded. Okay, so remove curse will fix the blindness Um, or the clumsiness. Like, now you can tie knots again, Uh, but it isn't going to fix the, you know, curse that dooms five generations of your family to financial ruin. Quick question. Yeah. Does... Five future generations, or does that start with me? <laughs> because then I don't care. Right. It was actually four generations ago, so you're the last one. Your kid oh, will have plenty of money. That explains why I'm not adventuring. <laughs> uh, you can also um, let something like Remove Curse be upcast, or like in a, in a non-D&D game, like uh, cost more uh, resources or like longer ritual time or something like oh, that. Yeah, like ritually cast, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to have it fix higher level effects. And, and I think like, you know, not all curses necessarily have like a level effect attached to them, but I think you can base it on like the power of the creature that cursed them in the first place. Um, you can also use MacGuffins to help remove curses. So, uh, Wolfsbane has always been that sort of MacGuffin for lycanthropy, but uh, perhaps you might have to eat the heart of the lycanthrope that infected you um, or kill the vampire that sired you or something like that. 
Yeah, these work well as like a built-in quest for the party. And I think it's probably the the default for when um, players find out that they've been cursed in this way. Like, okay, you've been cursed by the mummy. Great. I guess we have to go find the mummy and figure out what to do. And eat like... its heart. You have to go sip its <laughs> <Yeah>. juice. <laughs> this, is, this is like the cinnamon challenge. That I don't, this is very dusty. <laughs> we can't use water, really? You must drink <laughs> from the juice of the mummy who sired you. <laughs> I have drunk from four sarcophagi so far, and exactly. it has not yet been the right mummy. <laughs> my, my Capri sarcophagus is getting a little bland. <laughs> it's okay. I, I took the powdered heart and stuck it in the juice, and it was just much more palatable. Oh, it's a mummy protein shake. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so keep in mind that like fairy tale solutions to a lot of these curses are probably harder to pull off or maybe like not appropriate for a game or even like not appropriate for a modern game like true love's first kiss um or uh, like beauty and the beast right like someone needs to fall in love with you even though you're ugly like i don't really know how that necessarily plays out in a game yeah but i i actually still really like that because especially like for fey right like because because fey as creatures are sort of about their story rather than about the reality of whatever is going on, right? Like a fey is defined by the story that the fey tells of itself and its origin. Um, so having those kind of ridiculous things, and I mean maybe falling in love despite ugliness is is a little like pointless, but like true love's first kiss, right? Like that's a great example of like a fey curse that you know when you've met that right like as a player like you know when your when your character has found true love and maybe that never happens in the game um but you have that lingering over you and it's just that becomes like an element of you as a character is you are still looking for that right and you'll deal with this curse whatever it is until that point i mean you know you've got a role versus true love right how's your how's your charisma saving throw that's that's how you know it's like you fail versus true love and like that that's it well, no, you have to pass the role and still fall in love. That's how you know it's true love. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, right, like uh, like true seeing. Right, exactly. Right. True, true loving. It's, true love is a six level spell. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and also, there's devil's love, which you <laughs> which can is, get as a warlock at, at level five. Right, and it's objectively better because it also works in pure darkness. <laughs> darkness, yeah. Well, in magical darkness. <laughs> In this case, I guess it works in true light. It works in sunlight, right? <laughs> You're still in love when the, the lights <laughs> right. come on? Yes, I, I hope we're still in love in the dark, yes. Uh, no, you're right. This this can work with um, like a, a partnership between a player and, and a GM, specifically saying like, okay, this is the curse, right? Uh, that does mean like the GM is now sort of required to introduce an NPC that you can potentially fall in love with um, and uh, you know, try, try to role play that out. And I think, you know, that can be a good hook. Like uh, GMs, maybe go ahead and take that burden on yourself because it does give your PC an attachment to something in the game world that is going to be important to them, which is great for like kidnapping. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely a good idea to leave that stuff open ended, um, and also if it is sort of esoteric, to make sure that the effects of the curse are not debilitating, right? Because you can't hurry love. So yeah, you just have to wait. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it don't come easy. It's a game of give and take. Yeah, between you and your GM, obviously. Right. <laughs> I do think fairy tale solutions work nicely when it's not the party members who are cursed, but they're trying to help out an NPC. Oh, um, so play fantasy matchmaker. Yes, no, exactly, right? Like 
uh, oh, we need to get you to make out with someone that you're like truly in love with. Okay, well, let's figure out who that is. Okay. Uh, yes, we we did it. We got them together. We're like helping you, like zero no de Bergeracking in the background, and you make out. And oh, wait, it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Wait, are they not their true love? Hold on a second. I'm very confused about this. Well, yeah, because obviously one of one of the PCs then falls in love with the NPC and becomes their actual true love. Right? Oh, that's totally what it's going to be. Or yeah. you know, it turns out it's their sister. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I just say right to that? <laughs> that's the plot of Frozen. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yes, it is. Jesus. <laughs> All right, so another way to remove curses is to uh, require the curse to right some wrongs, uh, undo some action that was inflicted, right? Like, invite them to the party finally, or uh, probably more likely, clear the name of somebody who was unjustly punished or executed or someone whose family was ruined as a result of, you know, a malicious rumor or something like that. Yeah, you've got to somehow undo, like, or make amends for the thing that, like, your uh, ancestor did against this restless ghost that's, you know, been chasing you for you, you and your family for four generations. Or, you know, return that stolen property. Like, the mummy just wants the sarcophagus back. That's all. Yeah, or, you know, all of the relics that were uh, stolen from its tomb or something like that. Right, so now our job is to loot the British Museum. <laughs> Right. Because <laughs> underneath that is pure vibranium. <laughs> and then uh, then we've got to go to the, the Met, okay, as well, because they've got quite a big big exhibit. Wait, it doesn't count. These are on loan. Nope, Mummy doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> mummy does not understand. <laughs> mummy didn't look. <laughs> and then, of course, you got to get the Mummy back to the tomb, and you got to seal the Mummy back in that tomb, and you got to reconsecrate that ground before the Mummy gets out of the tomb. Right. Um, a simpler way would be to just pick up somebody else's quest and complete it for them. Um, you know, perhaps they were killed or um, imprisoned or something that prevented them. Um, that will, you know, completing their quest will allow them, will allow you to make amends for that. Yeah, this works nicely for um, curses that are transferred through items. Um, you know, like. I guess the sword is in, is haunted by the spirit of the paladin who didn't finish the quest, right? So great, it's your sword now, but <laughs> you got You have a quest slash curse. Yeah, it, it's also good for dying NPCs, right? You you kill the NPC and now they curse you to complete their quest. Yeah, so destroying the world, right? <laughs> you know what? This world isn't that great to begin with. I think I might just destroy it and make it in my own image. Wait a minute, I have to make it in your image? No, this is a dumb quest. I don't I don't like this at all. Okay, so what are some longer-term consequences? Uh, well, if you're playing Harry Potter, uh, curses cause scars that can't be fixed with magical healing. So even if someone has a curse removed or cured, still, it's still obvious that they were affected by a curse. Um, you know, and sometimes that means that people pity them or people are afraid of them because you know, they're not quite sure that the curse has actually been taken care of. Um, it, it could also be a badge of honor, depending. Yeah, so a curse is like spring break. You go, you get the tattoo, you can, you leave, the curse is done, but you're still stuck with the tattoo. Yeah, or, you know, that photo of you with so many beads, and people are like, well, I either pity you, uh, or or I respect you. Mardi Gras doesn't fall on spring break, you should, please. <laughs> it, de- it depends. Maybe you're on a trimester uh, schedule. It's called quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Not at every school. 
Um, alternatively, a curse could be passed on to descendants. Um, so it could be hereditary, like literally passed on, like lycanthropy, like or it could be something that's inherited along with like the family's wealth or title, something like that. Yeah, those terrible, terrible things your ancestors did. And, you know, everybody's ancestors did terrible things. Well, I really like the idea that like um, the NPC that you know, right, or even the PC, like has inherited this curse, but maybe like the sibling who went off to a monastery to live an ascetic lifestyle and renounced all of their lands and titles and everything else, like is no longer affected by the curse. And there's no other real reason to know what was going on with it, right? Like, it just happens that you have the curse and they don't. Um, it'd be a good little mystery. Yeah, I like that. It works especially if, like, the title or the wealth was was what was gained through ill means. And so by giving that up, you are released from it. Spoiler, they were. <laughs> yes, going to a monastery and being a priest is always the way to make sure that you live a uh, fine, uh, gentle uh, lifestyle above reproach. I didn't say priest. Oh, okay. <laughs> what else happened? Who else lives in a monastery? Monks. <laughs> Who are priests? Not all monks. Sometimes they're kung fu masters. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. They <laughs> they could be senseis. <laughs> all right. So I think curses are really just a great excuse for GMs to sort of uh, exercise their creative mummy juices. Uh, just sort of have at it because you know almost anything goes as long as you are giving your players a way that they can eventually wriggle free of it. And, you know, it makes for a great mystery too. Yep. Yep. I like that as a way to sort of semi-railroad your players into a direction uh, as long as you tie the curse itself to some action that they took, right? So they do something that they deserve a curse and... <laughs> Then they get a curse. <laughs> you get a curse. You get a curse. Exactly. You get a curse. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's uh, just me slurping away. Slurping away at the mummy juice. All right. Well, let's move on to the character creation forge now that you're refreshed and roll with <sighs> a new character. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. Yeah. All the products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear we love. Shane, tell them about the cool product we're talking about today. Gift cards. Hey! You don't know which of these cool products your friends or loved ones want? They sell a gift card so your friends and loved ones can go pick it out for themselves. Isn't that thoughtful? Yeah, go do that work. Uh, they come in amounts between uh, 25 and $250. $250 will go a long way. Yeah, I like that um, there's actually plenty of stuff on here that you can get um, for $25. And then there are definitely some some big ticket items that that the recipient will appreciate having $250 for. Right. I, I personally, I think I would buy three dice catapults. Uh, that's only $21. So you I know. know. I, and then I just pocket the $4. Yeah. You know, for to, a rainy day. To, oh, I thought you were going to try to like spend it elsewhere like i have 
four dollars on a gift card to Edward Academy. Uh, will you take this for a latte? You're right. I would just I would throw in an extra three dollars of my own money to get a fourth dice catapult, have a full arsenal, uh, and then defend my dice. Yes, one for each cardinal direction right. to <laughs> kill the cardinals coming from those directions. Correct. Obviously, <laughs> can never be too sure. We're surrounded on all sides by the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> you thought I was talking about birds. <laughs> um, but for real, you know, for uh, for uh, you know, a hundred dollars or so, those spellbook gaming boxes are really neat. They would make a great gift. Um, there are a lot of customizable options here, so a gift card is actually a great way to like buy the right amount and let your friend or loved one um, customize it. Um, get exactly the inserts or the designs or the wood types that they prefer. Yeah. Or, you know, you can buy them for your favorite podcast hosts. Mm-hmm. We do accept gift cards. Yeah, but we're not getting anybody, any of them. I said their favorite podcast hosts. Oh, right. Yeah, right. so yeah. good point. <laughs> but you listeners can find the gift cards and many more products at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Lycanthrope Hunter. Which, uh, you know, hunts lycanthropes. Yeah. Guy, gal, goes out in the woods, finds a werewolf, shoots him in the heart. Yeah. Silver bullet. That, uh, that's, that's what does it. Silvered arrows. Yeah. There's an entire ranger subclass devoted toward killing specific kinds of monsters. Um, it's okay. <laughs> it's like, all right, I guess. But it's not all that great. I think there's much better things for killing werewolves. Okay. So what's the build then, Ishan? Pact of the Blade, Hexblade Warlock 15, Monster Slayer Ranger 3, Knowledge Cleric 2. So I think it's probably best to be a variant human and to start with a resilient constitution as your feat because that'll give you proficiency in con saving throws. And if you look at the werewolf, it is a um, DC 12 constitution saving throw to prevent yourself from being uh, afflicted with lycanthropy. So you really want to get your con saves as high as you can. Yeah, as they say, the best offense is a great defense. Of course, it's a DC 14 to prevent uh, yourself from being afflicted by weirbear lycanthropy. But you know what? I think I, I do want to be a weirbear because they're like good creatures and you get a strength of 19 and, and plus one to armor class. So like, I don't see any drawbacks to being a weirbear. Well, <laughs> say that to your family members and loved ones who are going to be like mauled to death in their sleep on the no, first full moon. No, they will also be weirbears. <laughs> I will gently bite them. <laughs> Okay. As, as quickly as possible. And then we will be a nice little, I don't know, what's a pack of bears called? Okay, back it's to the pack, build. right? Okay. So from Warlock, you get magic damage right off the bat from level one because you've got your Eldritch Blast. And that's really important because, again, werewolves in fifth edition, or like we're, um, all lycanthropes, uh, are completely immune to damage from weapons that aren't silvered or magic. Which means that at low levels, I don't know why werewolves are CR, I think, three. Um, there's no way you can hurt them with weapons. So you need to hit them with spells. So Eldritch Blast is probably one of the best ones here, especially if you're going to take Agonizing Blast. And then right off at level three, once you get packed to the blade, you create a magic weapon out of thin air. So you're never without a magic weapon. You'll also get useful spells like Shield, Blur. At level six, you get that Spectre, which you can use as a Meat Shield. Uh, you'll get Shadows of Moil. And then at level 10, you get Armor of Hexes, which uh, makes it a 50-50 chance that the target of your Hexblades curse is just going to miss you with an attack, which, like you said, is a great way to make sure that you don't get infected with lycanthropy if they miss you. 
Uh, as a Hexblade, um, you'll probably want to pick up the Sword Coast Adventures Guide Cantrips, Booming Blade, and Green Flame Blade. You'll also have Remove Curse on your spell list in case you are accidentally bitten. And, of course, you get Hold Person and Hold Monster. Uh, note that Lycanthropes are humanoid shape changers, so Hold Person works on them. But if you have a GM who's being grumpy or upgrading them or something like that, then you've got Hold Monster just in case. Hypnotic Pattern, obviously, because I'm pretty sure werewolves travel in packs. And then one I really like, at level 7 you get, um, a 7 level spell, you get Force Cage. So if you're the type of Lycanthrope Hunter who just wants to catch them and doesn't necessarily want to kill them, or just wants to sort of contain them until, like, they get a hold of themselves or, like, the moon goes behind the clouds, then you can just Force Cage them for an hour. Uh, you'll get invocations such as Repelling Blast to keep your uh, your prey your quarry, if you will, at a distance, uh, and also help break grapples if they manage to grab you. And you'll pick up Eldritch Smite. I think Beast Speech at will uh, is a really nice invocation to have because you know often werewolves or different lycanthropes make use of the sort of mundane version of the creature to send messages, or I think they can control them, so it's nice to be able to talk to them. Uh, and at high levels, at level 15, you have access to Shroud of Shadows, which lets you cast Invisibility at will. But the big one is Witch Sight, which lets you see the true sh- the uh, true form of Shape Changers all the time. So then from the Monster Hunter Ranger, we'll pick up a favorite enemy. Uh, obviously, we'll take Humanoid Shape Changer. Um, that'll help. And then we get a fighting style, probably defense. As we mentioned, you do not want to get bit. Uh, and then you'll have the Hunter Senses and Slayer's Prey abilities. Yeah, Hunter Senses lets you uh, figure out vulnerabilities that creatures have. I mean, everybody knows, okay, use silver against werewolves or whatever, but it's also possible that your GM is running different kinds of werewolves or high-level werewolves that have different kinds of vulnerabilities or immunities, and you'll get to figure those out um, even if you aren't necessarily great at whatever appropriate knowledge skill there is. And then Slayer's Slayer's Prey just helps you do a bit of extra damage. As a knowledge cleric, you'll be able to use your warlock spell slots on cure wounds. Uh, you'll get two relevant expertises, so um, religion, history, arcana, uh, as well as the guidance, resistance, and bless spells. Resistance is actually really useful here because you know you're going to be making those saving throws. So, hey, cast them ahead of time before you get bitten by lycanthropes. So I think leveling order will probably start warlock five to get eldritch smite. Uh, then we'll go three levels of Ranger, Knockout Cleric, and then Warlock to 15. So, Ishan, who is your Lycanthrope Hunter? My Lycanthrope Hunter is herself a Lycanthrope. I think she's naturally born, which I believe the Monster Manual says you can't use Remove Curse on. It actually takes a wish to not be a Lycanthrope anymore, but you're, I think, more in charge of your blackouts. Anyway, whatever the instance, she's dealing with the guilt of having been um, a person who's hurt innocence uh, and she's, you know, struggling to keep her urges under control. So I think one thing she does do is, you know, you know, your enemy. She wants to make sure that uh, anyone that she does accidentally afflict with lycanthropy, um, she either can help them by removing the curse or she can end them if they've embraced the curse. Uh, and then, you know, once you get to really high levels then she can sort of force cage herself or, you know, lock herself up um, when the moon comes out just to make sure, you know, no innocents are getting harmed. Um, and then, you know, eventually she's sort of like the the consummate werewolf hunter where she can just sort of see them walking around in the daylight. She knows exactly who they are and uh, can, you know, devise uh, particular plans to 
take them out uh, because, you know, who better to defeat them than one of their own? What about your Lycanthrope Hunter? My Lycanthrope Hunter has a bit of a tragic story. Uh, oh, yeah? Not like a happy-go-lucky story? And they decided to go out and... <laughs> As a baby, my Lycanthrope Hunter uh, lost their entire family to a werewolf uh, who happened to be a member of the family. Oh, I thought you were going to say earthquake and you were going to go in a different direction, like lost them in a tragic natural disaster. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lost them to the draft. (laughs) So grew up bitter about this, right? Like as a, as a kid um, trained in order to um, hunt uh, werewolves and unfortunately uh, was able to track down the specific werewolf that did uh, ultimately murder uh, their entire family, which was, of course, like uh, an uncle or a, a, an aunt or a, you know maybe even like a brother. Um, and once they did do that, uh, unfortunately, like ended, you know, the last living member of their family and, and now has to deal with all of that guilt, but has a uh, a skill set that really only exists uh, for one purpose, which is hunting werewolves. So uh, has sworn an oath to prevent the uh, scourge of lycanthropy from ruining any other families. I like that you don't know anything about anime, so you don't know that you've built Uchiha Sasuke. Um, You're right, I don't. <laughs> but this is great. <laughs> Good. Don't at me. <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And of course, you can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, This is Great RPG Info and Ideas by Caspar. I'm a new GM, and I was looking for a podcast that would help inspire me and offer a good, in-depth look at a variety of RPG topics. I'm happy to say Total Party Thrill is the whole package. Their walkthrough of their own campaign helps offer real examples of the topics they cover, and the Character Creation Forge has helped me with a lot of NPC ideas. Hey, that's awesome. An entire package. Um, that's good. I was a little worried we were half the package. I won't say which half. The good half. Yeah. The slightly bigger half, you know, because like, you know, one person splits and the other person chooses. I mean, 51%, right? I think that's all you really need for voting control. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about building monsters. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the mummy. Because, you know, we're building a, a, mon- a monster. Uh-huh. You get it? Yeah, I got it. Yeah. All Sweet. right. That's it for episode 182 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. But there are exceptions, you know, like Sleeping Beauty didn't do you know, anything that's wrong. Good. That's, a, that's a perceived slight. Oh, right, because she was too beautiful. Right, got it. Okay. Uh, no, no, that's, that's Snow White. Sleeping Beauty is her parents didn't invite Maleficent to her birthday party or some shit. Well, so she was punished for somebody else's slight. Yeah, yeah, but it was a perceived slight on somebody's part. Like, they didn't actually, do, she didn't do anything wrong. Her parents didn't actually do anything wrong, right? Just okay, yeah, fair enough. The witch sucks. Why don't, why don't you explain Sleeping Beauty okay. then? Because I clearly don't know f***ing Disney. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you say real or perceived.